the sea on this, on this side of Syria. And behold, they be Hazazon, Tamar, which is in Gedeah. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judah. And Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord. Even out of the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. I want to preach this morning just for a few moments uh, about why we praise. Not about necessarily praise in general. Although I believe that we will have a time with that. But why we praise. It's an affirmation of praise. Uh, I, I strongly believe that God does have something to do this morning. And I believe that Sunday morning, uh, today of all days, is not a day that uh, we can just slide through and do what we've always done. I believe God wants something specific from us. He's trying to get us somewhere this morning. And so with that in mind, will you help me get to where God is trying to get this morning? In order to do that, why don't we lift our hands? And why don't we earnestly pray for just a few moments? God, whatever your desire is this morning, that's where we want to go. Lord, take us where you want to go. Lead us where you want to lead us this morning. Help our minds to be tuned and help our hearts to receive your word, God. Lord, I pray right now, Lord, that every mind and every heart will run into captivity to your word. Lord, that somehow, some way, your will can be done, lives can be changed in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. You can be seated this morning. I believe God is a sovereign God. I believe God has all authority, all power, all knowledge, and he has complete control of not only this world, but also of the universe. There is nothing that escapes the attention of God. There is no event that is too large. There is no event that is too insignificant to avoid his scrutiny. From a supernova occurring, occurring a billion light years out in the cosmos to a single hair that falls from your head, God knows all things. He sees all things and he is in control of all things. God does not answer to anyone but himself. There is no one to whom God is accountable to. There is no authority with which he must consult with. He has no equal. He has no counterpart. And he, uh, not even an exact opposite. The devil is not the exact opposite of God by saying that the devil has control of our minds, he has control of our lives, is to say that he is equally as demonic or equally as evil as God is. Good. Satan is not that God created Lucifer. So God therefore has no opposite. There is not uh, an evil being that is as powerful or as strong as God is. God is self-existing. God is omnipresent. He is everywhere. He is omniscient. He knows all things. He is by himself reigns throughout eternity. When men swear, we call upon something that is greater than ourselves as some type of witness to what we are saying. But the Bible says in the book of Hebrews chapter 6, that when God made a promise to Abraham, because God could swear by no greater, he swore by himself. God does not make mistakes. Psalm chapter 18 verse 30 says, as for God, his ways are perfect. Everything he does is perfect. Everything God says is perfect. Matthew chapter 5 says, Be therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. He has all things in perfect control. His will is being carried out on a daily basis, even when it appears 
that somehow evil is triumphing in this world. The reality is that God's ultimate plan is being consummated around us. We live in a day, age, we live in a time that is so void of God. It's so void of the presence of God. When you look at these abortion bills that are coming out, when you can abort a baby that's already left the womb, and you can abort a child because of the impact the mental impact that it can have on a mother, that is complete and utter demonic oppression at work in our generation. We have a generation that is void of God. But God is not scared by the darkness of our age. It does not threaten God. It does not catch him off guard. He sees the end from the beginning. He saw this coming a long time ago. While it is true, that, that intercession may cause God to show mercy upon some. We as mankind cannot force God to act outside of his will or his word. We cannot somehow stockpile favor with God. And so by doing so, obligate God to act on our behalf. The scriptures enjoin us to pray. They teach us to study and to fast. We are encouraged to worship God, to sing, and to pray. Yet every bit of prayer, every bit of study, and every bit of fasting, every bit of worshiping, all the singing and the praising will not move God from his sovereign purpose in this life. There are those who would teach us to that demanding of God that whatsoever we desire, God must do. They teach this name it and claim it theology. And this theology has left many individuals disillusioned and disappointed by churches because they come in and they claim something in the spirit only to never receive what they claim. Those who have bought into these ideas and have, and have not received what they expected have been left feeling like they had some insufficient faith that they were not worthy of something or worse, that God was no longer in the business of miracles. In their life. So I preach this morning that neither statement is true. That when we judge our faith solely on the result that we can quantify. When we judge our faith strictly by what we can see. Strictly by what we can touch and feel. We set ourselves up for disappointment. Paul would have thought his faith was insufficient had he based his rationale on this thorn in his flesh that God never removed. He understood that my faith is not weak. Even in the face of this physical infirmity, he understood that God is still a miracle working God. God is immutable. He does not change. There has never been a time when he could not transcend the laws of, of this natural realm to do some supernatural work. There is not any law, there is not any scientific rule uh, that can constrain and restrict what God is able to do. Uh, there is no DNA, uh, there is no strict code, uh, there is nothing that can say, God, you can't interfere. Uh, no sickness can demand that God stay outside of it. God can do what he wants, when he wants, however he wants to do it. But God is not moved and his purpose is not changed just because we want it be so. And if there never has been a time, there never will be a time when God cannot do the miraculous. Malachi chapter 3 verse 6, the first part 
But verse 6 says, for I am the Lord and I change not. The key to seeing the handiwork of God is not in coercion, but in affirming and agreeing with the word of God and God's will. When we learn to apply the promises of scripture with the proper motivations and attitudes, we will see the results that God promises us. God is not Santa Claus. We kind of have this idea that um, he knows that we've been naughty or nice, and therefore we only get gifts if we're nice. God is not Santa Claus. The Bible describes him as a loving father who desires, as Matthew chapter 7, verse 11, says to give good things to them that ask him. The gifts do not come because we deserve them or that we have somehow earned them. He is not looking to see if you've been naughty or if you've been nice. They come from a benevolent father that loves and delights in giving us the desires of our heart. We read the very familiar account of Jehoshaphat's battle with Moab. The enemy was described as a great multitude. There was fear in the camp of Judah. In fact, 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 3 says, And Jehoshaphat feared. And he set himself to seek the Lord and proclaim the fast throughout all Judah. That sounds like a man that is terrified by what lays ahead of him. He literally is scared. And he decides, I'm going to pray. And I'm going to call a massive fast for everyone in Judah to fast. God's got to do something here. In the time of adversity, the best place to be is on our knees. We don't buy influence by our righteous efforts. But prayer and fasting are much more than buying influence. They are acts of obedience. It is through prayer and it is through fasting that we align our will with the will of God. It is the submitting of my flesh to the spirit of God, just like Jesus himself did in Gethsemane. When faced with the impossible, Jehoshaphat turned his face toward God. Second Chronicles chapter 20 verse 3 says that Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord. And he proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judah. And Judah gathered themselves together to ask help from the Lord. Even out of all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Deuteronomy chapter 4 says, But if from thence thou shalt seek the Lord thy God, Thou shalt find him. If thou seek him with all thy heart and with all thy soul. Was God somehow gone? Was God somehow hiding? Did Jehoshaphat have to go find God? It said he sought God. He went and set himself to seek the Lord, like as if God were hiding behind a tree somewhere, peering out, seeing if Jehoshaphat was looking. I don't believe that's the case. I believe that God was always there waiting for someone willing to seek him. And so we find in verses 1 through 4, the children of Moab and the children of Ammon invade Judah. In verses 5 through 13, Jehoshaphat prays for deliverance. In verses 14 through 17, the promise of deliverance is given. And so God answers Jehoshaphat with a promise of victory. But it is Judah's response 
And Jehoshaphat's subsequent action that I want to bring to our attention this morning. Because upon hearing the promise of God for victory, the Bible says they began to praise the Lord. Moab was still waiting in the trenches. Ammon was still preparing for battle. Batsier was still sharpening their swords. The battle plans were still being drawn. Alliances were still being made. The enemy was just as real and just as big and just as ready to fight. The only difference now was Judah now had a promise from God. And the proper response is an affirmation of praise to the one who gave the promise. When God gives the word, that's when you and I begin to praise. Because my Bible tells me that in him there is no lie. And so when God makes a promise, I affirm his promise by lifting up my voice and beginning to praise him. We don't praise him because of victory. We don't praise him because of what he's done. We praise him because we have a promise that God is able to do something in my life. Jehoshaphat understood what so many people fail to see. That all it takes is a word from the Lord or a promise from his word. And then we can praise God for his act. If only God would give me a word, I would praise him. If only God would audibly speak to me, I would praise God. The problem is he gave me 66 books of promise to mom. He gave you 66 books of words. He gave you 66 books of men to confirm that God will do everything that he has said and promised you that he would do. The affirmation now comes when we realize that God made a promise. 66 times throughout his Bible he makes promises. We can affirm and can rest assured that God is going to do what he says God is going to do. The word praise is used 248 times throughout the scripture. It's used 160 times in Psalms alone. Psalm chapter 7 verse 17 says, I will praise the Lord according to his righteousness. And I will sing praises to the name of the Lord most high. I will praise the Lord with my whole heart. I will show forth all thy marvelous works. I will declare thy name unto my brother in the midst of the congregation will I praise me. We were created to praise him. We were created to praise him because of what he has already done. We were created to praise him for who he is. And in him there is no lie. In him there is no evil. In him there is no wrong. We praise him for what he is able to do. First Peter chapter 2 verse 9 says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We use that a lot this morning. I like that verse. <clears throat> to show forth the praise of him who had called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Some of you are still in darkness. Some of you are still not in the light. But the promise in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 is this. To show forth the praise of him who hath called you. It's past tense. Being that while you were yet a sinner, Christ died. 
That while you were still in bondage, still in darkness, still bound by things, God has already called you out of that. That sounds like a promise to me. Does that not sound like a promise that God has already called us out of things? We may be in it right now, but God has already spoken a word that you were called out of that. Out of darkness into his marvelous light. Are we, do we still believe that God calls us out of sin? Do we still believe that if we are dealing with sin, that somehow the promises of God are void because we're still in sin? No, the promises of God are still dead and amen. It's still standing. You're still dealing with sin, still dealing with trouble. God has called you out of that. Amen. So, what is the response to being called out of darkness into his marvelous light? The response is to show forth the praises of God. Who called? Yes. Yes. Doesn't mean I'm praising him because I'm already out of it. Right. I'm praising him who promised to come get me out of it. Yeah. I'm praising him because in spite of my mess, in spite of my sin, in spite of my trouble, in spite of my shame, God gave me a promise. And I'm going to affirm that promise by praising God. Amen. Right. Right. Lord, praise is broken down in seven Hebrew words. Yadah, which is extending your hands, holding your hands out, or to throw your hands up. Halal, which means to boast, or celebrate, or commend, to give glory, to make a show. Halul, which is a celebration of thanksgiving. There's Zamar, which is striking with the fingers to play a string instrument to celebrate with music. There's Tadah, which is an extension of the hands, specifically a choir of worshipers. Shabbat, which means to address in a loud voice. All of these things are things that I see in the apostolic church. We extend our hands, we hold them up, we throw them up. We like church to be kind of a sense of celebratory. We like worship, we like praise, we like having to replace the chandeliers when somebody gets done shouting. We like to make a show at times. Not because we like to be a show, but because we like to show forth the praises of him who called me out of darkness or in his marvelous life. We sing songs. We play instruments. We have choirs of worshipers. And sometimes we get a little bit loud. Sometimes. Amen. All of that is what I see in an apostolic church. What I don't see near as often as I see that is the Spirit of God to sweep in and people being left humbled and laying on their faces before God. So we have all the shows. Praise. We have all the demonstrations of praise. But what is it? What is it that causes the Spirit of God to sweep into a church and just take over? What is it that causes God to look past all of our sins and all of our mess and just respond to our praise? 
talk this morning in the first hour, and I told you that some of you wouldn't be happy with some of the people today. You're really not going to be happy about this, right? I've heard all my life, all my life, the church isn't the way it used to be. Songs aren't the way they used to be sung. Preaching's not the same as it used to be. We're too comfortable in this generation. Our buildings have made us comfortable. The air conditioning makes us comfortable. That abuse makes us comfortable. All right. Rush harbors were a better day. Those songs we sang, those hymns are a whole lot better than what we sing now. I've heard that all my life. You know why I disagree with it so much? It's because they didn't choose brush harbors because it's all that's they, they didn't have a choice. That's what they use. Necessity made them choose that. Necessity made them choose the songs that they sang. 99.9% of the songs they sing in the hymn were written by Trinitarian men that did not have a revelation of who God really was. So they're definitely not more powerful than the song that we sing today that understands the words of God. That might rub you the wrong way. They're just not. They're great songs. Don't ever want to do away with them. They are history. They're who we, that's how we were raised. That's how the church got to where we are because of those songs. They're word, but I love them. But they're not any more powerful than what we see today. We adopt this mindset that God worked more 50 years ago than he does now because of the things in our church. Yeah. It's absolutely not true. God doesn't change. We use this excuse that somehow church is different, therefore God doesn't move like that as an excuse and as a shadow puppet for the true issue. The true issue is we don't have the heart that they had 50 years ago. We don't have the interest in God like they did 50 years ago. We don't have the interest to come to church and be motivated to worship like they did 50 years ago. We are comfortable. And I thank God for comfort. I think if they would have you know, indoor air, air conditioning and pews and, and had things like this 50, 60, 80 years ago, they absolutely would have had church in that environment. Right. They absolutely would have sang some of the songs that we sing today. It doesn't make our songs better. A song is a song. A song is not my worship. Right. Right. That's right. A song is not my worship. Right. My worship is motivated from my heart for who he is. My worship is motivated from my heart to declare the wondrous power of God. A song might help me and aid me do that, but my song and what I sing has no bearing on whether or not God moves or not. When God moves, it's because my heart has connected to him somewhere. So it doesn't matter if it's not to the one or 2019. The difference is that mankind's heart is not where it is. We don't have the heart that they had over we're not motivated to worship like they did 50 years ago. Maybe we have too many things. Maybe we just have too many distractions. Maybe we have too much going on in our life. Maybe God isn't really as important to us as we like to confess that he is. Maybe we come to church just because we know we're supposed to. Okay. Maybe we worship because we know that that's what we're supposed to do. But we really don't have a heart to do it. David said, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing and acceptable. We talked about holiness this morning. Holiness is a heart issue, but even more than a heart issue, it is a body issue. You can have all the holiness of the world, you can proclaim 
the holiness of God by how you look and how you dress and how you act. But if your heart is not right with God, it's as filthy rags before God. Nothing matters if your heart is not in So we talk about praise. Church has changed a little bit. We've got updated music. We've got updated musicians. We've got updated singing. We've got all this stuff that's updated. You don't know why. I know it's a hard issue. I know it's a song issue. Because we have services where all we sing is songbook songs and we still are worship. Yeah. We have songs where we go back in time. It's the same response we get when we sing the words. So it's not a song issue. It's a heart issue. We have a heart that no longer seeks the mind of God or seeks the will of God or the demonstration of the power of God. And then God tells us, okay, you're going to be the last generation. And there's going to be great revival. And I'm thinking, how? How is there going to be great revival out of a generation that doesn't have a heart to worship God? And then I find it in the story of Jehoshaphat. When they looked at what was in front of them, and they looked at where they had come from, and they looked at all of these things, what God did in children of Israel in Egypt did not give them some inflated idea of what today should be like. It gave them an inflated idea of who God is. It didn't, they didn't sit there and say, well, if we would have done what Moses did in the wilderness, everything would be okay. We wouldn't be in this mess if we would have done this like Moses did. They didn't address that. They looked back and they were high on the things that they knew from their history. And they said, God's made a promise. We're going to seek the mind and will of God. And we're going to get our heart involved in this. And we are going to exalt. And we are going to praise God. Because God has made a promise. And God's word will never return void to me when I get my heart wrapped up in this. We got to quit praising God out of our mind. And start praising God out of our heart. Start praying. Stop praising God because the song is right. Stop rejoicing, rejoicing because the beat is just right. Mom. Start praising God because of who he is. Because his word has never lied. His word has never failed. And because he has never done me wrong. Praise God out of a heart. I remember days. I remember days. <laughs> I told you I didn't much pain this morning. I remember days prayer meetings would have been the most attended service we would have had. Right. All right. Amen. Call a prayer meeting. Every person in the church would have been there. Why? Because we wanted to pray. Yeah. Because we knew that if we prayed, God would show up and do something. Right. Because it's been confirmed over and over and over and over. When we pray, God does something. Right. But now our most heavily attended services are Sunday mornings. Sunday nights aren't even heavily attended anymore like they used to be. Sunday nights used to be like the power service. Remember that? Yeah. That's right. You're on Sunday night, you can just expect the walls to be like a different color, like a paint, being painted from the wall. That's why I had to take the chandeliers out for the Sunday night services. It's not, it's not a presentation problem. It's not about lights, it's not about colored lights, it's not about the screens, it's not about the words and songs. It's that we don't care like we used to care. 
Sunday mornings are heavy. Because it's the day when we're supposed to go to church. Yeah. Preach. Sunday nights are a little less attentive because it's still Sunday. Still got to go to church. All church prayer meetings on Wednesday night are heavily attended because it's just prayer. Which is an evidence sign how far it is in this. Somehow in this generation, we have got our heart wrapped up in God. Amen. Somehow in this generation, we have got to figure this thing out. That it is not about me clapping my hands or dancing. It is not about any of that. It's about my heart communing with Him. My praise, my outward demonstration of praise, we rejoice and eat dancing. Those are evident signs that my heart is connected with Him. It's evident signs. God, you've done something in my life. I will show forth the praises now of Him who has called me out of darkness into His marvelous light. It's a marvelous truth. It's not a soul. You wonder why people visit where it's your friends and they don't ever come back. It's because people can see through the show. It's because we can raise them on the pew for 25 years. If all they ever see is us worshiping on a Sunday morning, they don't see anything out of us for the rest of the week. If they see that we're living a lifestyle that's not pleasing to God Monday through Saturday, and yet we're trying to proclaim some hierarchy of Christianity on Sunday morning, it's frivolous, it's shallow. It's a lifestyle, but it's not a part of it. We're not going to walk away so they can see through the show. We don't need a show. We need a demonstration of the power of God. The only way we're ever going to have a true demonstration of the power of God is when we get our hearts so taken up and tied up with the presence of God that the only thing that matters is, God, I'm not leaving here until you come down and alter lives. You want to see people born at the altar and people receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost? Get your heart involved in worship and let God do his thing. Worship the God in your heart. to go into the campus when they come to the most part of the campus here behold there was no man there for the Lord had made the host of the Syrians to hear the noise of chariots and the noise of horses even the noises of a great host they said one to another, Lord, the king of Israel hath hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to come upon us. Wherefore they rose and they fled in the twilight. And they left their tents and their horses, even the camp as it was, and fled for their life. The enemy fled for their life before this ragtag group of men that realized that if we're ever going to be anything. If we're going to make it through this dark generation, we're going to make it through these dark times. We've got to get our hearts and our minds brought into captivity. We've got to get our hearts brought into singularity with God and worship Him and exalt Him. And then the enemies left. They didn't leave because of the noise. They didn't leave because of that. It was when they coupled their noise with the heart issue of praising God. Then the enemy realized that 
This army is too big for me to handle. Heart wrapped up in this. Place. 